Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Imperial TMT podcast, where we invite innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists from all backgrounds to have wonderful conversations about business and technology. I'm your host, Jojo. In this episode, we have an alumna from Imperial College Business School, Dan Tang, the co-founder of Soul Foods. Soul Foods developed a plant-based protein in its nat most natural form, free from artificial additives, processed ingredients, and refined sugars. It has been on a rapid upwards trajectory. The business has scaled up to a commercial kitchen setup while maintaining a passion for experimental home cooking and staying free from office ingredients. We talked to them to learn more about their exciting journey and their plans for the year ahead. So then, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm delighted to have you on the show today. Nice to meet you, Jojo. Thank you for inviting me here. Okay, so before we kick in, could you introduce yourself and maybe share some of your hobbies with us? Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Dan. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Soul Foods. So, like Jojo mentioned, about we focus on providing healthy, delicious plant-based protein for people. Uh, I mean, more specific as plant-based meat. So I come from China and uh, study in Germany and come to the UK in 2018. I graduated uh, my master from Imperial College in 2019. Yeah, so um, there's one probably if I share some, I my fun facts about my hobby. Um, I practice Ashtanga yoga, which is very intense, but really enjoying it. And also I like uh, playing guitar, sometimes singing as well. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Can you tell us a bit about your backstory and your career so far? Backstory. I think before I came to the UK, uh, I lived in Germany for many years um, and worked in different industries, including consultancy, journalism, and also startups. Mm -hmm. My master program at Imperial College is called Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Management. So in doing that program, basically, we learn how to transfer idea into a product or service. And um, it was very crucial. I mean, it was a critical point of my career change after my master because during the program, I get to know more about startups. And uh, it's specifically interesting you mentioned about Enterprise Lab and Imperial College. They are very supportive. So we, we actually get a lot of support from Imperial Enterprise Lab in terms of funding and also lots of professional support from the team. And so SoFood basically is an extension from my graduate project. Um, I also found my co-founder in my cohort. Basically, he was my classmate. <laughs> yeah. It seems you've had such an interesting journey. Starting at the beginning, what was the biggest motivator for establishing SoFoods, especially given... This is already quite a saturated market in the UK. Mm, I think when 2018, I when I came to the UK, I, uh, the vegan was very popular here. Right, so I was uh, questioning, I was questioning why people turn to vegan. Then, um, so I realized that actually, my diet, you mean, and my diet when I was eating meat has a huge impact on animals' well-being on our planet. So as you might know, the animal agriculture contributes to 18% of global carbon emissions, which is more than all the modes of transport combined. And so when I know that, I feel I, I, need to, I need to make a change, you know, starting with myself. So in 2018, I turned to plant-based, but as I mentioned, I come from China, the culture is heavy meat eating culture. So it was very challenging for me to turn into plant-based because if I don't eat meat, what else should I eat? So I, I need to have 
So where do I get my protein? That's the first question. So back in 2019, there was a lot of meat alternatives on the market. So I tried many of them, but but they were not good enough to eat as regularly. So many for three reasons. So the texture was soggy and the taste really bland. And importantly, they contain a long list of ultra processed ingredients and make me feel unhealthy and bloated. That's where, where I see, oh, why plant-based become unhealthy, right? So if we want to inspire more people, you know, to turn into plant-based necessary, we need a better food, especially better protein. You know, that's how where the idea actually coming from. But also every time when I go out to eat food after I turn into plant-based, I find it's very inconvenient because there are not much option, tasty vegan food outside, mostly salads, sandwiches, or you get like, I don't know, boiled vegetables on your plate. <laughs> so um, I have to start learning to cook, right? I thought about, oh, it'd be, it'd be good if, if the whole industry start to change. Basically, that's how I start my startup to solving my own problem, but also solving a lot of problems around my friend circles. Yeah, that's how we started. Uh, coming back to the question, like you mentioned about it's quite saturated market. Um, I don't think so, because uh, let's say 90% of people in the world is still eating meat, right? So the meat market is around $3 trillion. So our vision actually to uh, make more people become plant-based or eat more plant-based diet. So for me, the rest of 90% people is all our market. I see. Um, yeah. So in my opinion, that switching plant-based actually is inevitable um, for in the future for a couple of reasons. Uh, solving the problem of hunger. Mm-hmm. improving human animals well-being and also being sustainable for the future generations mm-hmm. yeah um uh, i can take examples for example talking about the hunger right lots of people might know about it, the trend of eating meat in developing countries like china india is increasing uh, because you know it's getting richer and people could afford more meat and it demand more as well but with this trend we will face a big problem of food shortage because compared to growing plants growing meat actually takes at least 90% more land, water, energy, which means we don't have enough resources to supply meat to everyone. And the result would be if the wealthy people keep demanding more meat, the poor people were starving just because more plants are used to feed animals. So I definitely think that plant-based diet is the future and we're all responsible you know, to contribute something about it. Yeah, 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 agree. So I think that's fantastic. And I, I love hearing people's journey because it's never what you think it's going to be. There are always some unexpected twists and turns. And just as you mentioned, um, you sort of had the problem of eating out of the situation and it started uh, thinking about, I might need to cook for myself. So speaking about the food you make for all the uh, plant-based food eaters, could you explain an example of a product development process and timelines? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the question. I think... Uh, talking about the product development process, I think, um, like I mentioned about, I was solving, I'm trying to solving um, my own problem. So I turned to plant-based and I don't very much enjoy the food on the market. I thought about, oh, can I create a better one for myself? So I started to recall what is uh, interesting, what I like about meat in the past. So in China, when grandma used to cook meat, what kind of ingredients do you use? What kind of flavors? Because that, that was my... Well, good memories coming from, right? I used to like enjoy very much eating meat and enjoy pretty much about the texture and enjoy the flavors. So the first recipe we're coming from is called Chinese five spice. It's just because um, I thought about 
when people like eating meat, they're enjoying the combination of texture and flavor. If I can create something like that, I, I would enjoy it just by myself. So that's uh, where the, the first product is coming from. Mm-hmm. And, and after I created the first recipes, so I'm talking about development and how the timelines, basically, I didn't thought about to start a business because I thought about if I can create something for myself and also share with my friends, right? And that'd be great. So I come up with something and then I share it with my friends and they really like it. And then they ask me to sell it to them. But I said, I'm not sure what I'm going to do as a business, <laughs> but it might be, so I don't know. So actually, I think what we did is to test the products quickly. Is there a real demand? Which means do strangers want to pay for it? Not just your friends, right? Your friends can be nice to you and just give you a lot of compliments, encourage you all the time. That's all friends do. But so we register market and like uh, it's called uh, Be the Future in London. And so I got some like uh, products and samples and we were first, we were basically sold out in the first two hours. And I just realized, oh, there's a true demand. People really like my products, even just one flavor. If the pack- packaging doesn't look good, but people really, really like it. And then from there, on, we just take off and then we develop. So now we have four different products, flavors, ginger teriyaki. It's coming from, again, our inspiration as mm-hmm. an Asian founder's background, enjoying Japanese food. Mm-hmm. And also smoky paprika is about when we travel to Spain and then we really enjoy paella. How about we integrate this flavor into our products? But also tikka masala is where Satya, my, my co-founder, coming from India. So mm-hmm. that's how we integrate all the flavors with good memories and bring all the joy to the people. Basically, we want to behave like a bridge to, from the east to the west. We didn't really much have like a ratchet deadline because it's always iteration. It's always improvement. Got it. Yeah, that's very interesting to hear your lovely stories, bring all these travel memories to the product you made. When you talk about the product development process, how did you price your product? Are you considering any price change as you expand your reach? As we know, Soul Foods is um, growing in a rapid uh, pace. Mm. So basically, there's different way of calculating price. You know, for example, the luxury goods price whatever they want. Uh, so we use a cost-based calculation, which means how much it costs and plus the margin we think we can operate in. And that is feasible. And so, yeah, it's called cost-based calculation. But different people have different choice, of course. Yeah, got it. So it's like uh, there are numerous value editing factors that should be considered when it comes to the price, but it's basically based on the cost of the raw materials that you used in the food. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Not only raw material, but also of operating cost, because all of that is called cost-based calculation. So your variable cost plus a fixed cost plus the margin you want. Okay, so maybe tell us about your uh, supply chain, packaging, and environmental commitments. For example, is your entire production facility based in the UK? And what is your current capacity? And does it cover the existing demand? Yes, basically, um, I think basically we're manufacturing and uh, ship and sell direct consumers. Mm-hmm. So we do everything in, in the UK with a small team. And uh, the reason is just because, you know, the current industry, the big factory cannot do what we do. So what we do is quite unique. So that's why we, we have to do build our own production unit and start from scratch. And the, I think the capacity is you can always control it because you don't want to do too fast. <laughs> if you do too fast, they always have some risk, kind of break the bridge. So that's why we 
we we'll always be careful to choose who we work with, right? You it's about branding image. So are you going to work with um Sainsbury, right? That requires a huge compatible match at all. But we could choose you to work with more direct consumers, and then we can you know really get to know about customers. We're still at the stage actually to constantly learning about customers mm-hmm. and constantly giving feedback from customers to iterate the product, to iterate the brand image, but also about brand positioning, right? Where do you want to position your brand? Is a Tesco brand or is something different you want to you want to present to people? So it, it's all a bit, bit different. Yeah, in terms of like uh, packaging and environment uh, impacts, I think it's really important because the whole concept we're doing this is all about how can we improve general animal well-being, but also how to protect the, our planet, right? So regardless of the product, I think we try as sustainable as we can in terms of uh, packaging material. Um, for example, we and um, the outer box of our packaging is, is made from paper, so 100% recyclable. Mm-hmm. And the inner pouches we use it's home compostable material. Um, this material is actually six and seven times more expensive than uh, normal plastic. And it's also much more expensive than recyclable plastic. But the only reason we choose that is because we believe that is much more environment friendly. So basically, if you have garden, you can just put in the garden and wait for a couple of months and it's gonna just, just become your fertilizer. So. Yeah, I think it's always a business option because, you know, sometimes you have leverage or is this is it really cheaper enough that I can do this business. But sometimes it's like, okay, as long as I can do, I can earn less money. But, you know, like like the idea, like the there's something good for the environment um, playing the long run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Agree. I think customers very appreciated of the, the, the material used for the packaging and they are quite satisfied with it. Because it's a plant-based food, I think many consumers are skeptical about the healthiness of meat and dairy alternatives. And often due to the way in which they are processed or the ingredients they contain. So talking about ingredients, how easy is it for consumers to accept the ingredients in meat alternatives specifically? I think for the current industry, probably not easy. Because for example, myself, uh, so my gut is very sensitive. So I can't digest many ingredients like microcellulomes. That's the standard binding ingredients in plant-based meat industry. And there's also lots of um, names on the packaging that normal consumer wouldn't know about it until unless you're a chemist, chemist engineer or you're a food scientist. But like what I said, I, um, the reason why we start the company is because I couldn't digest many ingredients. And personally, I don't think many ingredients is healthy just because they taste like meat, look like meat, they have to be put into the to products. No, not necessarily. I think there's a lot of uh, innovation should happen in this industry. So I'll give you an example. I think two things is very important. One is what kind of oil you use in the products. So let's talk about that. And then we'll come back to another point. So uh, the standardized industry oil, I think, is the coconut oil. So the reason to choose coconut oil is because coconut oil is an oil that will be solid, will stay solid in the room temperature, Mm -hmm. right? The reason why industry choose that is because it tastes like meat. So when you cook the protein, basically, and the oil will melting when the temperature rise, and it gives you a meat-like feeling, right? 
so probably give you a bad mouthfeel. But the downside of coconut oil is too, so everything tastes like coconut. And the second one is coconut oil contains a very high saturated fat, which is not healthy if you eat quite a lot, mm -hmm. right? So as we, we were knowledge about this, that's why we choose to use an oil called cold rapeseed oil. That's probably the most healthy oil we can find on the market. It has a lot of nutrition, but very low saturated fat, right? It will not look like melting effect during the cooking process because already liquid, yeah. but you will have lots of um, health benefit, but you also don't feel, oh, this is a strange flavor in the product I eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is oil. Another one we can talk about protein because why people eating meat is always about the good nutrition factor about high protein, right? So there's a lot of uh, different, I think the dominant two protein used on the market is soy protein and pea protein, but also wheat protein. So why why these three proteins, right? When the consumer choose products, I think it's because, for example, soy protein has, is, we call it complete protein. Mm -hmm. It contains the nine essential amino acids that people require. So most of meat products actually have also this nine essential amino acids, right? That's when the manufacturer choose to use what kind of protein, this needs to be taken into consideration, right? Because you want to create something that have good, good protein for people, right? And soya protein compared to pea protein, for example, have higher digestibility, which means when you eat it, it's easy to digest. So weight protein has the lowest digestibility. And also another reason would be, so compared to many other ingredients, I think soya and pea has, it's a commodity on the market, which means you could scale it up and to fit a lot of people, but not just uh, the people who are richer, because the price is going to be high if you use ingredients like mm -hmm. cashews and walnuts. Yeah, I think uh, be careful, choose about ingredients, is all, like protein is also very important. Yeah, for sure. And um, I guess it's just so good to hear all these secret sauce behind all these ingredients. Because for customers, they really realize this kind of points uh, if they don't study in this specific areas. And for myself, mm -hmm. I'm kind of kind of interested in this area. That's why I keep asking for these questions. Yeah, so I have a question in terms of the food because it's a, basically a, a plant-based protein food company. So how would you describe the taste of the food it's just a pity because we are a audio based podcast and the all these listeners won't be able to get the feeling of the food but would you be able to describe the taste of the food yeah basically a lot of customers say uh, our product is the best plant-based chicken they ever try so obviously they they resonate more with the chicken based products mm -hmm. and the texture has, itself has a very chewy texture and it's absorbing the sauce or the flavor very quickly so it does doesn't like tofu, very dense texture. You couldn't absorb anything. So tofu basically tastes like tofu. Uh, but our products have very, um, how do you say, chewy and absorbing texture that could keep a lot of oil and uh, sauce inside texture. So when you bite it, it's very juicy and chewy as well. And uh, it's have very high digestibility. And so it's easy to digest. Uh, also have very high content uh, of protein, average 24 grams protein in, out of 100. So it's three times more than tofu. Ah, uh, okay, got it. So it seems you generally replicate the taste and the texture and experience of the, the real meat, like chicken and the beef. So yes. it, it will taste like very similar to these meat. But with just natural ingredients. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. And with high protein inside. I guess yeah. more and more consumers are following plant-based diets for ethical 
health and environmental reasons. However, they remain unwilling to sacrifice flavors. So for food manufacturers, um, the pressures on formulating products using meat alternatives that deliver both nutrition and taste. So I just wondering, have you ever partnered with any flavor companies? Actually, no, we don't. Because um, because as I said, like the reason we start the company is because a lot of additives and preservatives, also flavors or colorings in that people put in the in the current um, alternatives, it's quite unhealthy, right? So to control the healthy or high quality products, we we need to you know look at completely different. It's not to copy someone else's recipes, but to create a new recipe, you know, from our perspective and to create a high quality of products. So basically, I mean, at this stage, we use all the fresh and natural ingredients to enhance the flavor. So I'll give you an example. So one of the best sellers of products is ginger teriyaki. So we choose to use fresh ginger every time. And also for ginger teriyaki, actually, it's more be sweet. So, but to avoid the refined sugar, and so we, we use um, natural ingredients like date nectar, you know, has more low GI and more health benefit for people. Yeah, but you couldn't get it from any flavor company because it's just too expensive for them to to supply to anyone else. So yeah. that's why we we do it completely different way. Yeah, yeah, got it. It just seems like it's your uh, secret recipes. Yeah, but would that exactly. add too many costs to your original budget plan? To be honest, I didn't plan originally what the budget should be. Right, I just said I like, got oh, what's the best ingredient I could find market, which is healthy because I want to eat my products. I don't want to create products just make money and sell. But eventually, I spoil people's health. I thought, oh, the products I create should be first time I eat in a regular base, daily base, you know, and I feel healthy, energetic. That was the initial thoughts. Um, so based on that, you know, you could, then you could, uh, then I started to calculate the price. Okay, can I do this as business? You know, like of course, I'm hoping if, if we scale up and the, if you buy a bulk of ingredients, the cost could you know, decrease and then more and more people could afford products. But to be honest, product now, it's not probably everyone can afford it, but we're hoping we can scale it up and make a big impact. Yeah, got it. So I think the quality of, of the ingredients is your priority to consider at this stage. And you just want to make the plant-based diets become more accessible for all the potential customers. Exactly. Yeah. And other than that, I think another point worth mentioning is it's important to understand that making a product is not just simply mixing ingredients. It is about how they are treated and which processes they undergo. I guess if someone decides to copy your product, they might work with the same ingredients yet get an unpredictable outcome. <laughs> yeah, I think it is always different because people always have different values. Right. I'm pretty sure like what I know now, lots of founders in this industry also know, but why they not exist is because, you know, they don't think it's priority. Maybe more priority is how to make it faster to launch an incense or, you know, but for me, I think it's more important to have a healthy and tasty products mm-hmm. for people they could eat daily basis. So different founders have different vision. Like for example, Beyond Meat, I mean, I think the founder really liked eating burgers. So that's why he created burgers for plant-based people. But, you know, for my culture, I don't eat quite a lot of burgers. But I enjoy healthy, warm food, that chewy, that gave me good you know, energy. So I think that 
really comes from the founder's vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I agree. Okay, so from our previous chat, I realized you didn't allocate any budget for marketing. And then how did you acquire mm-hmm. high quality customers? I guess that's a question or listeners are very key to learn about. I think it's a really good question. And it's also a really good learning because we we know a lot of companies actually spend a lot of budget, but without without much return. It's just because when you start a company, startup, you don't know where customer are, uh, where, where are they, and you don't know who who they are. You don't you don't have enough in, uh, information about these people. How do you reach out these people? You probably don't even know what's the direction of your products, right? And if somebody spent lots of money in the beginning of the of their company, I definitely feel it's not right because they want to either want to grow fast, right? But your company only grow fast when you put a lot of effort to improve your products and service. And in the long run, it will grow. So I see marketing as a boost or to reach out more people when you're at a certain stage. Now, now it's time to open the market. Now it's time to reach out more people. But I know my products. I have good enough products. And I know enough about my customers. Mm-hmm. So for, for us, the first two years or one and a half years so far, we're always learning uh, always trying to figure out the production, the supply chain, and uh, about our customers. So there's a much more important thing for us to do the marketing for mm-hmm. this stage now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, got it. I, I did do some research on social media, for example, the uh, Instagram. I didn't find many promotional photos on your account. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess there are tons of ways to get your first customers without spending a fortune as long as you figure out the, the priority for this stage. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's very specific because we are food companies. So imagine how would you buy a food after you try it, right? Try it good and then you'll buy it. So for us, this is very clear because we need to get our products in front of people's face and let them try it mm-hmm. instead of putting a lot of the ads on the, I don't know where it is, but people say, oh, it looks good, but I don't know how it tastes. <laughs> so for us this stage, we really actually onboard customers one by one. We went to a lot of uh, events, markets, trade shows to get our product in front of customers and to let them try, get feedback, get to know them. Um, but those customers, they stay with you. So we have some customers stay with with us from when we start the company until now. Mm-hmm. We didn't do any promotion. You know, there's no any incentive for them to decide the product to stay, but they stay with us just because, you know, we really solved the pinpoint from them, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's good to hear. And I guess since this company is founded in 20... 2020, actually, we start the company May. Mm-hmm. So it has been two years, and I guess you already got a lot of experience in how to build up a company, how to get the first fundings from venture capital or by yourself. So let's imagine that a young founder comes to you and asks for your advice about whether venture capital or bootstrapping is best for them. What would you advise them? And can you kindly share a few things a founder should look at to determine if fundraising or bootstrapping is the right choice? I mean, this is a really good question because I do have experience. I built a startup before this one, uh, which one I directly went to the VC. And I mean, this one, I, I choose to bootstrap uh, from scratch, you know, just bootstrap. Um, to be honest, I think um, every path, every choice needs to certain consequences. Right. So if someone, a founder come ask to me which choice is better for me, 
So I would say if you don't know it well, if you don't know your so the market well, if you don't know if it's gonna work or not, maybe try bootstrap because um raising funding means that you take responsibility to making money for others. It's not just they give you free money, right? But also to be more knowledgeable about what's the pros and cons of bootstrap and raising money for VC. I can give you examples. For example, what's the pros? What is the advantage of a bootstrap is this limited resources really allows you to be more proactive, but you get to learn, okay, I have limited resources. How can I allocate them well, right? It helps you all the time when you have more money, you, you know how to allocate the funding efficiently, right? But if you if you didn't work on the path, you didn't know, and you were spent a lot of money on marketing, which is very important as well, but not from certain stage. Um, so you probably will, you have money to waste, then you will waste it. Right? But if you don't have money, you have nothing to waste. <laughs> the second point would be, you will have more control of your company, of course, right? Uh, because you just didn't give away of your share for funding, and then you would, you would have more control. But of course, the cons probably is more, you seems to have slower progress, but doesn't have to be because sometimes if you go too fast, you always have risk. You always pay a price. So fundraising, I think if you, if you raise money from VC, definitely help you to kind of grow faster, you know, open the market quickly. You have resource to hire more people. But downside would be you might lose control at the end, right? Because lots of capital comes in, lots of people comes in. So you probably will go focus on more raising more funding managing your investment board instead of focusing on building your company and but all very important you have no time to experiment because once capital comes in so investor always question why you're not making money this month more than last month right so you will be really revenue driven then you know if you really focus on the revenue lots of things you, you're not there to experiment 100 sure so it really depends it's a personal choice <laughs> Yeah. What, what which kind of rules funders want to choose for sure i guess it's a really thought-provoking answer based on your reflections and uh, experience and i think just a trade-off early stage founders need to make um, by considering all the pros and cons of these two methods mm. okay so so what have you learned from your past incompletions with the company you started? I know before Soul Foods, you have another startup. So I guess there are a lot of failures or success. So would you be able to share a bit about it? Yes, probably I share three things. I, I think it really matters if somebody wants to start a company. I think the first one is I see a lot of founders, including myself in the first startup, didn't know why I started a company. You know, because from people who never started a startup because see oh, it's just so fun <laughs> to start a startup um, compared to your corporate job. Or it's, it's a lot of uh, rain, let's say, glory looks like shining outside, but it's very, dif- it's very different when you're inside. So I used to fund a startup before this one. It's uh, in a skincare te- technology company. I come with my mind. And then I, f- I found some friends to do it together. Right? But it didn't work out. There's many reasons behind. And I did a reflection on it. So I learned I was not clear why I start the company at all. It's because I think it's cool. It's not. A, it's not a reasonable idea. It's just because you can't do things more than ten years just being cool. Maybe you think it's cool now, but it's not cool next year. So what is your true motivation behind? I think to have clarity and have good reason, good motivation on why you start a company is very important. So what I mean is clarity about that. 
I mean, we can break down in three points. Whenever I start something new, I always question me three questions. First of all, is that benefit for others, general human beings and our society? If not, don't do it because it will give you really bad energy. And the second one, am I interested in it, right? So for example, I do skincare products, but I didn't care about skincare. So it was a, probably a good project, but it's not for me. If I'm not interested, I cannot do it in the long run. The last one, of course, can I do this in the next 10 years? The reason I didn't work on the last startup is because one of the investors come back to me and say, Dan, you know, average startup get an exit is around seven years. Do you want to spend your next seven years in this industry, in this company? And I was hesitating. I couldn't answer the question. So I immediately know I don't want to. So if you can't do, if you can't say, I want to work on this company for the next 10 years, don't do it because you probably couldn't even last for one year. Right. Very important to have a clear reason to start why you do something, especially like start a company. And the second one I would say is we call it founders bias. Probably it's a human problem because when you go out, you always think my idea is the best. You don't listen to others. You create lots of illusion out of your mind, right? You don't know it's a true market in mind. It's just something you want to push it. So definitely see the fact, listen to others without your own opinion. Don't pitch to people, but listen to what they say about it. Say, do they have commitments? Do they contribute their time to talk with you? Do they buy your products? Monetary reward. That's very important. See what's the true demand of people. Don't always jump out, pitch your products to others. And the last one is don't be result focused. It's not going to be sustainable, right? Because you can't control the result. Result focus will make you become perfectionism. Perfectionism will slow down your progress because you get very frustrated every time. Focus on progress and improvement. Always making effort, always be active, always be happy. I have some improvement, right? That's give you a lot of energy and, um, and you, you enjoy the whole process, right? So these are three things I, I tried to improve in the past. Yeah, I think these tips are incredibly important. And uh, I think I just love it. These things resonated so much with me. Thank you so much. And I, I know oftentimes the leaders are asked to share the best advice they receive, the really cliched questions. But let's reverse the question. Uh, can you share a story about the advice you've received that you now wish you never followed? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I could never forget it. So when I was in the college at Imperial, and then we had a course called a VC course, right? So basically the VC course teach you how to raise funding. So very important that you would have funders agreement and also how to split the equity. If you have three co-founders, how do you split equity, mm-hmm. right? So basically they gave us a method, you know, you can divide the, uh, the past contribution, future contribution, financial contribution, time commitment, et cetera. And then you with the with this kind of format, you go to talk with your founders and split equity. So what happened with my first startup is I have a technical founder, right? And who invests thousand pounds in the company. And when me and another co-founder didn't invest anything. So basically the technical co-founder will have the majority of the shares. But then other co-founder was not happy with it. Said like, oh it's a thousand pounds. Why I also couldn't invest now, but I don't want to give him more share. So then later on, it's because I think we we'll have lots of internal problems because of the, you know, the equity split is not fair or people don't fear it's fair for them. That was a typical advice that you follow the academic road and you just go to the dead corner. Basically, I think you could use it as reference, but I, to be honest, I even feel reference is not reasonable because we don't behave logically. Let's say you want to start a company with someone. Basically, 
you kind of a decision you want to marry someone. If you marry someone, you say, okay, let's split it. Let's split our house. Let's split this and that. Terrible. Because then means you don't trust this person at all, right? But if you don't trust someone, why you start a company with this person? But if you trust someone, you know, why you calculate so, so clearly for us. So now the current company is because I really appreciate my co-founder. I feel he deserved half because he probably also even put more effort than me. I'm willing to give him more. So that should be the energy. You really trust the person, right? You want to work with him. You enjoy work with him or her in the long run. Uh, you feel your value aligned. You really treat each other equally. Don't use any methods. If you think about the calculation, it's the wrong track mm -hmm. because it means you don't trust each other. Yeah. yeah, agree. Exactly. I guess you need to find a way or a method that will uh, allows you to create connections and build trust. And that's yeah. just you need to um, put your effort into and think about it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So finally, what comes next for Soul Foods? Which further plant-based food products do you have in mind? And when should we expect the launch? Oh, <laughs> this is an interesting question because a lot of customers also expe expected us to launch new flavors of food or new categories. But actually, we're planning to cut down. We have four flavors now, right? We're planning to cut down to three. The reason is just because you need to be really focused on the business because every decision would cost a lot of energy. So probably you can say, you say, oh, just one product, but all the suppliers of your raw material ingredients and all the supply chain, all the distribution matters. So we decide to be more focused, which means to, to build the distribution. How people can reach out to products more instead of to have tons of variety, but people couldn't buy it, right? So what do we do next is to focus on scaling up the three products, you know, to launch in supermarkets and then to a lot of independent retailers, but also, you know, many well-known primary supermarkets and really build the supply chain distribution very well. And then we can think about, oh, maybe it's time to run new products, but you need to have a very solid foundation. And then that's actually very key, important for us. Yeah, 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 got it. So it seems at this stage, your main focus is all about refining and tweaking, like getting the customer's journey spot on and simplifying the experience for the end users and also focus on the most popular products. Yes, but also, you know, there's a lot of things to do on the back end, the production, you know, improve the production efficiency, uh, improve the supply chain efficiency, and improving the distribution channels. Yeah, lots of things to do. Excellent. We will keep an eye on that. I think that's the end of the question. So then thank you so much. It's been lovely to chat with you today. Yeah, hope you enjoy it. I um, very appreciate that Imperial College have supported us along the time. And, uh, you know, without Imperial College and all the support from Interface Lab, uh, we wouldn't actually make it happen. So um, I'm very grateful for that. And also thank you for giving this opportunity to have chat here. And uh, I hope it's going to be a little bit helpful for some audience. Yeah, no problem. I guess many consumers are also becoming more and more concerned about sustainability and about how their behavior impacts the environment. So as a result, they are looking for food options with which they can limit their carbon footprint. And finally, some consumers are increasingly concerned about animal welfare. And all these factors have led to profound dietary changes. And so in this episode, then discusses how startup founders can tap into this plant-based trend while meeting all consumer expectations in terms of all these textures, taste, chewiness, smell, and also the nutritional profile, clean labels, yeah, and naturalness. I think that's a wrap for the show. 
And for listeners, thanks for listening to TMT podcast and indulging in some feel-good insights for the mind. See you next time.